having healthy boundaries, it is so good for our self-esteem. And don't worry if you're listening and you're like, oh my God, I'm a boundary disaster. Wherever you are right now in your journey, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Today's episode is sponsored by The Artist Incubator. Want to double your art sales? I can show you how. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz, as in B-I-Z, to apply for a free profit planning session and learn more about coaching with me. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hey there, passion makers. It's Miriam Shulman of the Inspiration Place podcast. You're listening to episode 141. I'm so grateful that you're here. Today, we're talking all about boundaries. In this episode, you'll discover the importance of time boundaries for artists to avoid self-sabotage, why exercising the power of no is crucial for your success, why poor boundary maintenance negatively impacts your productivity, prosperity, and sanity. Today's guest is a licensed psychotherapist and global relationship and empowerment expert. For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that includes everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities and Fortune 500 CEOs. She has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. She inspires over 250,000 people weekly, including yours truly, through her blog, social media platform, signature courses, and her popular podcast, The Terry Cole Show. She also just published her new book, Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talking True be seen, and finally live free. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Terry Cole. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the show. Why, thanks, Miriam. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. So as I said in your intro, I am a huge fan of your work and your podcast and now your book. Very helpful, actually. I really wanted to have this conversation with you because when I was first starting out as a professional artist, I found that my boundaries, my lack of boundaries was really showing up in my client relationships. (laughs) Yeah. I did have therapy and I did clean that all up. But now reading your book, I see I still have a lot more work to do. I'm like seeing myself on both sides of that aisle, the boundary breaker as well as the boundary victim. I don't know. I don't know how you call it, but I we have a lot mean. to unpack. We do. Without this becoming a therapy session for me. <laughs> it's okay with me. Okay. Ooh, free therapy. So let me get right to it. One of the things I wanted to talk about first, when I read it, I was like, oh, I have work to do here. And I bet this is true of a lot of my listeners. Could you define what the overfunctioning codependent? Yes. Yes. That was a word I used to hear in psychology. I was like, what are they talking about? Here's the thing with codependency. I'll, I'll tell you what codependency is. Just so we're all clear, because I think that there's a lot of talk about codependency out there in the world and popular culture. I'm not positive people really know what it is. So according to me, 
my definition, it is being overly invested in the feeling states, the decisions, the situations, and the outcomes of the people in your life to the detriment of your internal peace or your financial well-being or your physical well-being, your emotional well-being. We love the people we love. Of course, we're invested in their lives. But if it's to the detriment, meaning when something bad happens to them, it actually feels like it's happening to you, that is codependency. That's a codependent response. So in my therapy practice, I had very high-functioning clients, performers, artists, CEOs, I mean, just the whole gamut of people. They would come in and I would say, oh, hey, I'm noticing this, this pattern, this interaction. There's codependency in this relationship. And they would be like, no, no, no. You're mistaken. I'm not dependent on SWAT. Everyone is dependent on me. I'm the one everyone comes to. I'm providing all the answers. I'm the rock. And I'm like, P.S., that's still codependent. So there was this disconnect. And what I saw, because a lot of times when we think about codependency, you know, we think of the seminal text of codependent no more, Melody Beatty, means you're an enabler, you're involved with an addict of some kind. And that's not true. That's also not what Melody Beatty is even saying now because she's updated her stuff. I wanted to change it so that my people would be able to see themselves because they were so much like I was. Of course, you, even as a therapist, a lot of times you attract clients who are attracted to you or your work because there's a resonance, right? You resonate with what the experiences are. So when I put in high-functioning codependency, because think about it, High-functioning codependents are like Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did, except she did it backwards and in heels. That's like a high-functioning codependent where you make it look easy. People think you have it all together. You are doing it all, but you're getting it all done at the expense of yourself. And there's no way that you can be a high-functioning or a low-functioning codependent and have healthy boundaries. They are mutually exclusive, inherent in the definition of any kind of codependency is disordered boundaries. Just in case my listeners didn't see themselves in that definition, I'm going to give a very vulnerable example from my own life. (laughs) And this would be more true of people who come from dysfunctional families of origin with perhaps narcissistic parents asking for a friend, not for me. (laughs) Yeah. If you're the type of person who, when someone comes to you with a problem, you suddenly find yourself Googling what to do about it, which I realized I was doing with my 23-year-old. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, here's some articles on Bumble on how what you should say for your opening line. And when I read your book, I was like, uh-oh, that's not good. That is basically repeating. And this is something that you talk about in the book about you repeat your stories with other people. You basically replay them. But let's talk about why it's not good. Yes. Like, what is the cost? Because it sounds so lovely. Like, oh, the mother's helping. You know, it feels lovely at the time. And it wasn't until you say, oh, whoa. Right. Like, like what is happening, though? Because what we're missing out on is important. When we feel the urgency, when someone else has an issue or a situation, and we feel this urgency, it, it is almost, it is a compulsion for many people to fix, to help, to come up with a solution. What we're actually doing is centering ourselves in that person's situation rather than what you could do doesn't mean you never give advice, but what you could do is say, all right, well, let's start with what do you think you should do? 
Mm. Like, where are you at? What is your, what does your gut say about this? What steps have you already taken? Let's start there. Because here's the thing. You don't know, even a parent, you actually don't know what is the right thing for your kid to do when they're adults. Having faith, you did your job and that you could build more confidence in an, even in a, a young adult child, because 23 is still a young adult. I think not a child, but a young adult by saying, well, your gut instinct is good. So what do you, what do you think about that? What is your feeling about that? Even when people come to me and ask me what I think, I never say what I think until I ask them what they think, because I don't want to influence. And trust me, when I was in my twenties, I was the most immediate fixer ever, was the biggest codependent, which is why I wrote a book on boundaries, which is why I have a course on codependency. Like, what do they say? You teach what you most need to learn, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, and in this entire book, there's no judgment at all about what we're doing when we have disordered boundaries, because there are so many real reasons, Miriam, that we have them. So all of us were raised by, you know, flawed human beings. And we have this, what I call your downloaded boundary blueprint in your unconscious mind. And this is a whole organization, basically, of how you should relate to boundaries based on your childhood experiences. So if you had a chaotic family system or a narcissistic parent, you learn, nobody needs to send you like a memo to tell you anything as a kid. We are so adaptive. You learn that having, fulfilling their need is good. Having your own need is not good. So we're already learning. You know, most of us were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. I mean, I've been doing this 25 years in the trenches with my therapy clients. And I believe that is a fact, especially if you were raised as a woman, where we were taught to, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You know, where's my happy girl? We just were raised, most of us, to be good girls, to think that being nice, and I'm going to put quotes, you can't see me, but I'm air quoting, is, you know, this, this highest virtue or value. But what happens is we end up saying yes when we want to say no. And in the end, really, let's think about that logically. Is that nice or is that just giving the people in your life corrupted information about who you are, what your preferences are, what your limits are, what your deal breakers are, what you desire? That's what that's doing. And then we're like, why do I feel isolated? Why do I feel unknown? Why do I am I in a relationship? but I still feel lonely as hell. Because when we have disordered boundaries and we don't prioritize our preferences, desires, limits, deal breakers, we don't let people know what those things are because according to me, that's what having healthy boundaries is. Right? You have the ability, you know what they are, your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers in all areas of your life. And you have the ability to communicate them if you so choose. The person doesn't matter to you. You don't need to share all your things with them. But if you choose, you're able to communicate and basically negotiate to get your needs met rather than being like, well, if they don't have a crystal ball, they don't really love me. I know that my listeners are hanging on to your every word about how this relates to their personal life, but I want to also bring in how this wrecks havoc. When you are an artist who works with clients on commission, if you don't have firm boundaries, this came to a head for me when, and luckily I was in therapy at the time, I was doing a commission portrait for a woman who took me through, I'm saying this like it's her fault, but it was my fault for not enforcing the boundaries. You know, I'm like, 
She had had me go through her closets and pick out the clothes that the kids were going to wear and then sending me in and out of the the service entrance and all the things mm. that when I was in therapy, it's like, this is about setting boundaries with your clients. Yes. And it's on me. It's not that this is a bad client. It's that I have a bad boundary system. Yes. And it's that there's something about setting limits that can be scary because if we're afraid to be rejected, afraid to lose the job. Actually, I teach this quite a bit when it comes to anyone who is basically working for themselves. So artists, and I've actually been married to an artist who's worked for himself for, we've been together 24 years, and I used to be a talent agent. So I negotiated contracts for a living before I became a psychotherapist. And when my husband and I, his name is Victor Yuhas, when we got together, I was like, wait a minute, you took the job, but you literally don't know what the job is paying. And he was like, oh yeah, it means time. They'll take care of me. I'm like, P.S. They would take care of you way better if you actually negotiated your fee, or I'll do it, or someone else can do it. But why are we trusting the corporations to like, quote unquote, take care of you? They're not going to. He's a very mellow Pisces. He doesn't love conflict. He's just like, it's fine. And he's been, you know, when I met him, he was already incredibly successful and well-known at what he does, more of a political artist. But I couldn't help but think how much more financially successful he would be, even though he was doing fine. Because I know his friends and I know other artists who have better boundaries. And so getting really clear that you can be proactive as an artist with your boundaries. So you can come up with basically a client agreement and have things in writing, because this is what happens. This is how you protect your professional and your personal relationships is transparency. Because if you don't, what you're doing is you could be proactively protecting yourself and your professional reputation, your bank account, and that relationship with that client by saying, maybe you negotiate, you say, okay, here's the agreed upon fee. I'll send you the terms. We'll have an agreement. You have, even if it's just a basic contract, because this is the thing that makes it so much easier to go back when the person's asking you to do the fifth, sixth, seventh revision, when in the contract, it was three revisions for that fee. And if there were more revisions, then this is this amount is now going to be added to it. All of those types of things. And you also say, these are the hours that I work or I'm available. Like if we need to confer, it's between nine and five on you know Monday to Friday. Because here's the thing. If you don't, you'll have people who are like texting you, like blowing up your phone at like 10 p.m. on a Saturday, simply because maybe they're a workaholic. Maybe they, who knows why? It doesn't matter why. What matters is, you're not setting them up to succeed. You're setting them up when we're not clear and we just take a job (laughs) and we're like, I'm just so happy to have the job. People respect you more when you have good boundaries. And you teach people how to treat you by doing that. Or not doing that. Right. (laughs) What Terry says absolutely was something I had incorporated into my practice. And I learned over time what I needed to add to that contract. It did get longer and longer. And it wasn't so much as something that needed to be a legal agreement that ever was going to go to court or anything like that. But it was more what you just said about setting expectations and also having it in writing told both the universe and myself, reminding myself, this is what I'm doing. And that's it. And I'm worthy. You know, part of it is also having healthy boundaries 
it is so good for our self-esteem. And don't worry if you're listening and you're like, oh my God, I'm a boundary disaster. Wherever you are right now in your journey, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Like it's never too late. I've taught tens of thousands of people this because I've been teaching this for years before I wrote a book. I taught it to see. I didn't know, was it going to leave my therapy practice? Could what I was doing there very successfully one-on-one, was that going to work in a group that was virtual? I was like, I have no idea, but I guess I'll find out. So I beta tested that. And then I doubled the length of the course. And then I changed it over five years, every single year, changing it to be more effective, letting the cream rise to the top so that I could make a book, create a book based on my personal experience, my you know two and a half decades in the trenches with clients. But what actually works? Because there's so much stuff out there that's like, you just need to love yourself more. And you're like, hello, what does that even mean? Does anyone even know what that means? It's not helpful. It's like a platitude of, with no use. It only helps if the person listening goes, oh, all right, step one. Well, if you're someone who has the disease to please, if it's difficult for you to say no, step one is buying time. Like we're going just going to stop the auto yes, the insta yes. And I give you scripts to do that and ideas to do that, planting the seeds. The next time Bob's like, hey, what are you guys doing? Want to have dinner with us Saturday night? You go, hey, I'll let you know tomorrow. I need to look at my schedule. I need to check with this person. I need to whatever. Because saying maybe, which is what you're saying when you buy time, make saying no so much easier. All right. So sorry to interrupt this juicy conversation, but I wanted to make sure you knew that I'm taking applications for the Artist Incubator Mastermind. I have three spots left. If you're lacking a solid strategy or a winning mindset, and you're disappointed by your current art sales, I can help you. So if you've been listening to this podcast and been enjoying the breadcrumbs, maybe it's time to come and take the whole loaf. The program is for professional and emerging artists who want to make more art sales. If you're ready to invest in your art career and join a dynamic community who are doing the same thing, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz, B-I-Z to apply now. Now back to the show. One of my favorite scripts I learned from you, and this was from the podcast, it's permission to say no to intrusive questions. And one of the scripts that unfortunately I've been using is, why would you ask me that? That script in that part of the book is Kasha Urbaniak's work. She's a power dynamic expert. I love her work so much. She was a dominatrix for 18 years and then studied all over the world with like female Chinese monks and like amazing. What I find with that, so I love that you're using it. It's so good. I'm so happy to be spreading that. We feel sometimes when people ask us a question that it's rude to not answer, no matter how rude the question may be. Like our training is like, wait, they're asking. I must say something. I must tell them. And then my clients would come in and have this regret. You would have like a vulnerability hangover. Like, ugh, why did I tell that person? that personal thing just because they asked. And so what Kasha teaches is that here's the power dynamic. When someone says to you, so why don't you want to have kids? Let's just say. Now they are dominating you. You're the sub in that moment. They're the dom, as she would say. So when you say that simple thing, why would you ask me that? Or why would you want to know that? This now, we just flipped the power dynamic. Now they're the sub 
and you're the Dom because there's no answer waiting. You're not saying anything. You literally just questioned the questioner's question. It is so brilliant. And are you finding, Miriam, that it's working? Sadly, my my father-in-law passed away of COVID in, in January. And oh, yeah, thank you. I mean, he was 88 and I, I, I'm a very spiritual person. So I do believe that this was his time. We just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. But I had friends ask me, how did he get it? I was like, how does anybody get it? It's a pandemic. Or why didn't he just wait? And that's the one I said, like, why would you ask me that? What does that even mean? I said, like, like, what did he want? Wait for the vaccine? I don't even understand what she meant. Like suddenly it was like you were speaking to me. Why would you ask me that? Well, when people also will say, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, right. And ask the most ridiculous thing. And I will literally say, especially if it's something painful. I had a death in my family four years ago, my 18-year-old niece. It was just the whole thing was terribly tragic and awful. I had someone literally say, if you don't mind me asking, how did your niece pass? And I was like, oh, I do mind. I love that. I am not required to you. So thanks for re-traumatizing me. How about look it up on Google? Your morbid curiosity is not my effing problem, you know? Right. (laughs) You know, um, Terry, you mentioned that women are socialized to have weaker boundaries systems. And you were giving the example that we're taught to be quiet, play small. And do you know, or do you find that minority groups have this even more so with women of color or? Tenfold. And since I'm not a woman of color, I can't say exactly, but I have had clients where you are raised to not want the wrath of racism. You're literally raised knowing, I mean, all this conversation right now, how parents are having with their their young sons, the police are dangerous. Yeah. What I think you find is that that is systemic. I found that in my work as coaching other artists that I have more grace. And when I'm working with clients who are minority groups, that they have an even tougher mountain to climb to overcome that that mind drama that they that we all have of being vulnerable, wanting to play it small, wanting to be safe, not ask high prices, that all those issues that you really need to work on with your mind to become a successful artist is even harder for my clients who are of minority groups because of that reason. Any marginalized group, because you feel less empowered and that you've gotten these messages for your whole existence, this collective consciousness of what we value. So it really does make sense It's also a danger thing, especially nowadays. I want to circle back to the importance of time boundaries for artists to avoid (laughs) self-sabotage. Can you say more about that? I think that there's something really important about having a schedule. And a lot of artists, even pre-pandemic, work alone in a studio, work at home, work at a desk. And if you don't have a schedule of some kind, You are setting yourself up to procrastinate. I mean, think of the work of Stephen Pressfield, right? He talks about resistance as this major, like your biggest enemy when you're an artist, when you're a writer, because resistance is anything that keeps you from sitting down to write or sitting down to paint or sitting down to sculpt. We have all of these reasons. And his whole point is, you know, he wrote The War of Art and that whole book is about sort of this concept that you just have to do it every friggin' day. If you're a writer, write every day. 
doesn't have to be amazing. You don't have to be right in war and peace every day, but we need a discipline. And this is, I feel like this is the same with artists. I also think you have to have end dates with your clients. My husband just did a book with Ryan Holiday. This was a, a big book. And so there was a hundred illustrations in the book, which is kind of rare to have that kind of a book. Usually it's like three illustrations on the cover. We knew because it's a professional thing that we had an end date on it because there were other projects coming up. And if that client can't get it together, right? If you're, if you're collaborating and basically you, if you're an illustrator, your work is based on what they're giving you. That can really get you into trouble. So having an end date, agreeing on that and you yourself, if you take on a job, and they don't have an end date. Sometimes that's bad for you <laughs> because then it means they can be like revision number 99. We're going to one more time. Can you do this? And another thing I wanted to say though about boundaries, because the time boundaries, but also the same way that we were talking about setting people up to succeed. It's the same thing. If you need reference from someone, if they're providing you reference, you need to be super duper clear on what that references that you need. Because so much of the time, people don't know what artists do. They have no idea. So if you're doing a portrait, if you're doing a, an illustration, a character, that's a lot of the work my husband does. They're like, we want it to be, look like this. But then they send you reference and the person is looking to the side. You're like, uh, that I need, <laughs> I need the person looking at the camera if you want the picture to be them looking at the camera. And so in a way, when you have an agreement, what you're doing, even in that respect, you don't expect that the client is an artist or knows exactly what you need, but you tell them upfront so that what you can avoid by that boundary, by that communication, is you can avoid them sending you 40 pictures that are terrible, that you can't use, you being on Google for four hours trying to find something that's better if the person is well-known enough to be on that. You know what I mean? Like There is a way to set our clients, collectors, the people that we're working with up for success by being really clear about what we need if you are the artist. There's so many things I want to respond to. And I was like, so hard. I want to interrupt her now. <laughs> so, first of all, what I always say to my clients, you know, it's hard enough to paint something you see and you're asking me to paint something that I don't see right now in this picture. So I've actually, in my professional practice, I'm at the point where I, I'm, I do have the luxury to turn work away if they're not able to provide me a good photo reference. The other thing, in terms of time boundaries, one thing that I end up spending a lot of time with, and even my, my high-level clients who get one-on-one -on -one time with me, is really sitting down and writing out a schedule. This has been several clients. So if you're one of them and you're listening, don't feel bad. But it's about planning what does the ideal workday look like? And then it's very similar, Terry, to what we talked about earlier. When you have a contract, a written contract that you use with a client, having something written, it's telling the universe, it's telling yourself that this is what I'm doing. And the same thing is true with a written schedule. And I really prefer when my clients do it analog pen to paper. There's something very powerful about putting your schedule, time blocking in writing and making commitments to yourself. I totally agree. There's also something about financial boundaries too that mm -hmm. are important because, you know, you may send out the invoice that says, you know, 90 to 120 days or whatever, but you need a system to be following up. And if the payment isn't in, it can be you. It can be someone else. There are people, of course, who do this. You're telling the universe something by 
following up and saying, oh, hey, this is due. Even with big deals that Vic does, I will follow up because I know he won't, but I do and say, oh, hey, this was, you know, the second payment was supposed to be triggered on the 15th of whatever. I haven't seen it yet. Can you just look into it for me? Again, what are we saying to the universe? What I'm doing matters. Maybe in that case, I'm saying what Vic does matters because I don't, I don't think in his whole entire life, his 40, however many years he's been doing this, that he's ever followed up. I mean, maybe once, but it's always like, oh, wait, yeah, that was due nine months ago. I'm not kidding. So I'm like, oh my God, someone else has to do the books. So that's something that if you don't like to talk about money, which I find is very common, there's, it's a very psychologically based experience where I promise you, and you know this, I don't need to tell you, but money is literally never just about money. The way that we relate to it is so loaded. It is so familial. It is so family history. It is so the way we were raised. It was so the way we were loved. If people gave you money when you did well in school, or if they held money over your head, or if someone is right now coercing you with cash, you relate to money a very particular way. Mm, It's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? (laughs) Or book. (laughs) Indeed. I never made the association before with my lovely husband, Vic, when you talk about on the podcast, and Victor, who I follow on Instagram and whose art I really love. So I want to make sure we'll include a link, I guess, to his Instagram, since that will be something that is not a copyright infringement problem, I, I suppose. Yes, I hope, we hope. It. And you can give it to his, his website, too. He's his great. He's funny, though. He doesn't do a lot of this. <laughs> we should have boundaries in social media. But I feel like the old school artist, it's a different world where he's like, well, it'll come in. It's word of mouth. I'm like... Okay. Well, there's other ways people are doing it now. He just got an Instagram like a year ago. I'm not kidding. <laughs> well, whenever it was, I started following him because it's like, oh, this this is this art. It's really good. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell him. <laughs> it was on Instagram posted by other people because I had oh, yeah. seen it. You know, I had been very aware of his art for a while. I mean, I can picture it in my mind right now. Yes, he's done a lot of covers for Rolling Stone. Like, so yes, you definitely. And then people were hashtagging him, and I was like, how about starting an IG account? <laughs> I have an idea. You have 50 years of work. Maybe you could just post one thing a week or something. And he started. Which, by the way, Terry, one of the things that I teach, and you wouldn't have known this, is that you don't need Instagram to have a successful art business. And your husband is absolutely proof of it. Because I'm always telling artists when they come to me and they want to build their following, I said, that's not what matters. What matters more is everything we're talking about here today, having like good client relationships, being clean in your boundaries, cleaning up your drama about asking prices, cleaning up your drama about making sure you get paid. All those things are going to matter so much more for having a successful business, which is why this is a good place to wrap up, which is why I'm so glad that you're here. And I know that you prepared a special treat just for my listeners. I did. So it is a guide. So it's a little video, like a 12-minute video and a beautiful downloadable guide. And it is about boundaries and business. And it's some of the stuff that we talked about here, just ideas of what you can do in a proactive way to set yourself up for less boundary drama later and more success, more cash flow, more confidence. And you start doing it not just in your business, then you start realizing, oh, I could preemptively set up people that in, I'm in relationship with to be successful by sharing my preferences more readily, by letting them know what my limits are more readily in the beginning before they're trampling over them because they literally don't know where they are. So you can get that gift 
at boundaryboss.me forward slash inspire, boundaryboss.me forward slash inspire. And I think on that page, there'll also be a link if people are interested in the book, there'll be a link where if you get the book, Boundary Boss, I have all of these other bonuses that you could just put your receipt in and you get like 27. I just couldn't stop with the bonuses. You get like a million bonuses <laughs> when you go there. In many of Terry's episodes, she also puts together amazing guides. Very grateful to all that you do. So we've included links to all of these places in the show notes, which you can find at shulmanart.com forward slash 141. And of course, that link is in your app if you would just want to click there. All right. So don't forget, if you like this episode, please check out the Artist Incubator. It's my private coaching program for professional and emerging artists. You want to clean up your pricing drama? Let me show you how. It is by application only. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz, biz as in B-I-Z. If you qualify for a strategy session, you'll get my eyes on your art business absolutely free. All right, Terry, do you have last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? You can do this. I've just seen so many people get out of that self-sabotaging place when it comes to boundaries and their own worthiness around their art, around what, what they're doing. So just continue listening to Miriam. Allow people to guide you, but just know that you can do this and you're worthy of the success that you want. There's only one you. DNA-wise, it's a fact. So believe in your uniqueness and your specialness. Forget compare and despair. You can do this. So beautiful. We are so privileged to have you here today. All right. Thank you so much for being with me here. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com.